Thank you for joining us on another season of Beyond Clean, a live podcast where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. Beyond Clean is a podcast that is broadcast out of our studios inside Gym Supply in Orlando, Florida. We're always looking for guests at Beyond Clean, so reach out to me, your host, David Thompson, at dthompson at academyofcleaning.com or call us at 888-999-6059. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, let's get started with today's guest on Beyond Clean. Hello, everyone. This is Dave Thompson. I am your host this afternoon. And yes, I did say afternoon. If you've been with me before here on Beyond Clean with Ace, you know that, well, most of my podcasts are done live in the mornings. But folks, we have something kind of special today. It is locally here in Orlando, Florida, about 4 p.m. And we happen to be reaching across the continent this afternoon to somebody that woke up a bit earlier. Dr. Greg Whiteley is on the other end of the phone or on the end of the line, whichever way you want to say it from Australia. So if everything has worked right and we've done this correctly, now hang on folks, it's modern technology and we're all getting used to it, right? <clears throat> Aha, I heard a throat clear, so that means that Dr. Greg, you're on the line, right? Dave, good morning or good afternoon as the case may be and to all your listeners, good uh, uh, day from down under. And before we get into it too far so that <clears throat> I don't just botch things up, Greg, uh, let's tell everybody who you are, why you're here, and what are we going to talk about today? Sure. So, uh, snapshot of me, I've had a family background in the supply cleaning industry, cleaning supplies, really uh, for 50 years. I uh, run the largest uh, disinfectant sterilant manufacturer in Australia. We have a number of products registered also in the US through the US FDA as sterilants. Um, I've been researching in the area of cleaning and hygiene really for 40, 45 years. I have a doctorate from the University of Western Sydney, a master's degree from the University of New South Wales, and an undergraduate degree from what it was Hawkesbury Agricultural College. And uh, so we know a little bit about I'm a 40-year veteran member of the ISSA. I'm on the executive committee of the Cleaning Industry Research Institute International, CIRI and a uh, long-time friend of the show. And we're going to talk today about changes, I think, of what's going on with COVID and where are we up to and what's going to happen next. Now, as you mentioned that, Dr. Greg, you know, here's an interesting <clears throat> thing. I just did a podcast with a gentleman yesterday. Now, in his podcast, we were talking about floors and maintenance of floors, and he works with a lot of schools and healthcare facilities. And what was interesting is in that we were talking about the maintenance of things and you know, of course, schools here in the U.S. and other countries are getting ready to go back into session at some different types of limited, uh, you know, we're not all virtual this year. We're kind of looking at what's going to happen here in the next, well, four or five months. And he said, you know, the thing that's interesting about it is some people that had, he thought, had learned from everything we had last year how to go about this and what chemistry to use and process and everything is they've gotten all scared all over again because it's this new Delta variant 
and it's supposed to be more contagious and kill more people and infect more people and everything. And he says, so what they told him is they're just going back to bleach. Yeah, dear. Well, maybe we could step back from that and a little talk a little bit, Dave, and refresh the listeners on some of the, the sort of background you have in pandemics. Okay, let's do. And and um, <clears throat> so you know, pandemics sweep the globe uh, and have done really for millennia. And uh, usually they run a three-year cycle. The first year you have the initial outbreak, whether it's a, a virus like this one with COVID or a bacteria, and there's been plenty of those. And they'll, they'll sweep around the world the first year. Uh, the second year, they're really broadening their touch across everybody that, that the virus or the bugs can get to. And on the third year, they mop up whoever's left over. Now, there's some differences with this one for COVID that are highly relevant to our modern era. The first one is we get on airplanes and travel. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the, speed, the speed of spread has been much faster with this pandemic. Um, if you look back to the, uh, the last major one we all know about, which was the, the big, uh, you know, the Spanish flu, which happened at the, uh, at the end of the uh, uh, Great War, the First World War. So we're talking 1918. It took really a little while to get going. It spread quickly across Europe, starting in Spain, um, and it came back onto the US. But it was... The thing about that was there were still a lot of troops, global troops, in Europe after the war, doing clean-up and, you know, rebuilding towns and cities and so forth. And they travelled back and took it with them. And it really took a year, year and a half for it to really get to global spread. And then we all seem to think it, it only lasted two or three years. This is the big focus. But that's not true. That pandemic went over a bit of a longer period because it took so much longer to spread out. Um, with this virus, because everyone's travelled so far, it's gone a lot farther, a lot faster. And the second thing that's happened, which happens with every pandemic, but particularly with the viruses, is they continue to evolve. And uh, this virus has jumped species. We could speculate about the origins of the virus, whether it came out of a lab or it came out of a bat or it came out of a combination of both. And I think that, you know, history will record where it really comes from. That'll be a nine. But the thing about any of these coronaviruses is they actually mutate very quickly, like influenza virus. They mutate quickly. And even with the initial <clears throat> variant in, uh, you know, 2020, um, it, it started mutating very quickly. I mean, even mid-year 2020, we were already talking, you know, quite substantial variations in the proteins in the outer part of the virus. And this is relevant, so I need to go into a little bit of biology for the cleaning folk out there. Um, and, I, and I'm not going to scare them, Dave, but I need to make some comments about the proteins, okay? So okay. the proteins... <clears throat> that we're, we're, we're looking at in terms of where these variations are, are the little bits stuck at the end of those globules. And those proteins are the things that when you breathe in the virus, they grab hold of a human cell. And they're looking for very specific human cells. And what happens with the variants in this virus is initially... Those proteins, it's a bit like uh, comparing it to um, initially you might say it was like having one of those, those proteins were like 
one of those big industrial gloves. You know, they're, they're clunky and they're not very tactile and they get a hold of the cell, but it's not very efficient. But as the virus goes along, those gloves slim down and, and, and then they sort of morph into, if you will, um, uh, gardening gloves. And then the next morph that comes along, they turn into, you know, the rubber dishwashing gloves. And finally, when the virus has really got used to the species it's infecting, they're much more like surgical gloves. And those proteins just get better and better at grabbing hold of things. Now, what's important is it's still the same protein. It's just the shape that's changed. And if you will, the electrical configuration at the end of the proteins. Now, that's really important for cleaning because it's not like the virus has changed its overall shape or changed its characteristic patterns or changed its, its, its central, uh, what we call the RNA, the nucleic material that drives the virus. None of those things have changed much. Mm -hmm. It's all still the same virus. So <clears throat> with this virus, and we're now in this delta wave, um, it's now a very, very efficient virus. Initially, because it was a bit clunky, we were all really quite concerned about spread via uh, fomites or, or things that the virus contaminates. And we are still concerned about those things. But this virus is now so efficient in its airborne spread that the risk of contaminated surfaces is absolutely still the case, but the risk of catching it primarily as an airborne aerosolized risk. And the risk of spread in terms of the particles is when those particles fall out and land on the surface. And the other thing about this virus, which still holds true, is that it's quite stable in the environment. It doesn't fall apart. You know, a lot of viruses, the moment they move away from the, the human body, they just die. They, yeah, whenever they, they leave. Yeah, whenever they leave the host, they they become part of the environment and they disintegrate, they break yeah. apart, they can't survive. This, yeah. on the other hand, is more virulent, so it stays alive more uh, longer. That, that's exactly right. And it, it stays alive in all sorts of funny conditions you wouldn't expect it to. And, um, and that's got to do with how this virus has evolved as well. Um, and you've got to remember, the, the virus doesn't have any intentions, it doesn't have a thought, it doesn't have a plan. No. It, doesn't, it doesn't have a strategy. It's only, it's only goal it, is to survive. It's not seeking out anything in particular. It's just there and whatever it can come in contact with, if it's, you know, it's going to do what it does. That's exactly right. And if it finds something where it can, can reproduce itself in large numbers, it's yee-haw time for the virus. And this virus has come out of an animal species, got into humans, and it's yee-haw time for the virus. And, uh, and look, you know, I'd, I'd, for the sake of the podcast, I looked up the, uh, the uh, wonderful uh, collection of data on John Hopkins' website. And as of yesterday, my time, you know, we nearly have had 200 million confirmed cases of this virus worldwide. Wow. And, and of those 200 million, there are just over uh, 4.2 million deaths. So the, the, the confirmed infection mortality rate or the confirmed case mortality rate is running globally at about 2.13%. Yeah. 
Now, in the first world, and I include the US in that, um, where we've got, you know, clever medicines and clever clinicians and we know how to do the treatments and we've got enough ventilators, um, it's a slightly lower confirmed infection mortality rate. So for the US, the mortality rate after... Uh, after um, uh, infections, about 35 million confirmed infections in the US, there's been just over 613,000 deaths confirmed. So that gives you a case mortality rate of about 1.75%. Yeah, 1.75 is still, I mean, to those families that have lost loved ones or, or, or anything, I mean, you know, that's still real to them. But as a global pandemic, how does it rate? Well, let's put it in the context of the Spanish flu. A really bad flu year will have a case fatality rate probably around a half of 1%. So that means one in 200 people who catch the virus will probably die. Now, that's all age groups, all profiles. Right. So this virus is nearly four times more deadly. And so when we're talking about Delta, Delta won't be the last variant. And in now, all now, now reality, repeat that one more time for me, please, because I want to make sure everybody in the podcast hears that. So, folks, if you're live with us or you're listening to the recording, Dr. Gray's got something I want you to hear right here. Yeah, well, Delta won't be the last variant of this virus. We already know uh, there are other variants on the way. There's one called Lambda. They use the Greek alphabet to name the variants. And so there's, a, there's one called Lambda that's coming along. But you see, what happens with evolution, Dave, and this is, this you know, again, we don't have time to get into the evolution versus creation discussion. I know that many of your listeners will want to go there, but we'll just put that aside for the moment. Um, One of the funny things that happens with these viruses is sometimes when they have a variation, the variation doesn't work, and that variant will die out. So, So what you have is like a competition of variants amongst the virus. You've got the alpha variant, the beta, the, uh, uh, you know, and so forth. You get up to delta, and uh, then comes lambda somewhere down the track. They're all competing. And at the moment, the one that's winning is delta. So So we may have other variants come along and beat delta. Well, and that was what I was just going to ask. So as you're saying that, Dr. Greg, you're, you're, you're saying we've got another one coming, when do, I mean, is there an expected um, time frame or a number of variants that these types of pandemic viruses live through? Or do they just kind of go on forever and you're going to be dealing with a, a hodgepodge of all of these uh, eventually? Uh, well, you only need to look at influenza virus. I'm sure that uh, you and I, I certainly do and many of your listeners get a, an annual influenza uh, uh, immunization. Oh, absolutely. And that's because flu virus, which has been with us for a long time, every year it's got subtle variations in its protein uh, uh, external shell, and this virus will be the same. I think the the third thing I wanted to say about this pandemic that makes it so different, Dave, is, uh, and remember, the population of the world is what? Five billion people or something like that. Maybe seven billion, I don't know. No one really has a hard number. But let's say it's five. At 200 million confirmed infections, we're not even a quarter of the way through the population. Right. And now, in fairness, when you get into developing nations and our nearest neighbour is Papua New Guinea, uh, 
you can't know the numbers because they don't have systems in place to even collect the numbers. And we know for a fact that uh, uh, the impacts in Papua have been horrific. Uh, they've had hospitals where there are literally no healthcare workers who are able to work anymore. And, um, um, you know, their numbers show a couple of thousand people dead, but, but the real number is probably 10, 20, 100 times that. Uh, it's the same in, in, in places like Indonesia at the moment, uh, in many parts of South America, um, you know, where the systems are, are not really working well. Um, you know, we really don't know the case numbers. But here's the big number that your li listeners may be shocked about, is um, the big thing that's changed with this pandemic is how fast we've managed to get vaccines developed. Not just one, but there's something like 10 or 12 vaccines being used across the world. Mm -hmm. So I want to give you a little bit of a refresher. There's 200 million or just under 200 million people officially been infected. How many vaccine doses do you think have been given out so far in really just six months? I know you. I won't make you guess, Dave. It's not fair. Thank you. Thank you. 4.1 billion. Hmm. So, so the the way that the vaccines have been given out has been extraordinary, and and the thing that will will um, we know this from even the CDC's data released just this week that if you've had both your vaccinations where you get two some I know some vaccines just have one shot but where you've been fully vaccinated there's less than a one percent chance that if you get one of these new variants that you'll need hospitalisation. And of those less than 1% that do get hospitalised, they're usually uh, people in risk groups, uh, very elderly, uh, with other health conditions. They might be uh, undergoing, say, cancer treatments, so they're immunocompromised or they have some other immune uh, issue going on. So, so it's a very small number of people who then get very sick after they've been vaccinated and vaccination becomes the key thing. And it's interesting as you talk about schools going back. I'm not sure how we're really going with vaccinating the children, but the big issue, of course, and frankly, we're in lockdown again in Australia for all your listeners. We've got Delta running rampant here. <laughs> and uh, we've got something like a half of the population locked down at the moment trying to you know, get under control. And we're busy vaccinating people as fast as we can. But it's got loose in one state in particular into the school system. And they're really very concerned because we have not vaccinated a lot of children. And, and whilst the children don't seem to get as sick as the adults, um, they spread it to their families. Well, and, and, their families. and that's how that's how these communities, just like what we consider the every year fall common flu, it's yeah. the children that spread it to the parents, to the grandparents, and this is the way the whole community at large becomes infected. And so when it comes to the, our public school systems, this is what the big concern is then, I would say. Yeah, I, th I think that's exactly right. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, sadly, um, um, that's going to happen around the world. And so, you know, the unusual feature of this is this pandemic where it's spread so fast on one hand, the virus has continued to evolve incredibly quickly. But then on the other hand, we've got these vaccination issues coming in. What, what does that all look like? We're, 
Well, here's where it comes back to all of us in the cleaning sector. Right. Cleaning, using Dr. Mike Berry as my, my, my paradigm, cleaning is the removal of unwanted soils and microorganisms. I like the microorganisms, folks. Don't forget microorganisms because, you know, I think here, I, I deal with this a lot, Dr. Greg, is people say, well, it's not visibly soiled. And I keep telling them, the pathogen is a microbe. You can't see it. It feeds on food that is microscopic, which you can't see. So to determine that the surface doesn't need to be cleaned simply because you looked at it is not correct. Oh, look, um, we're working on something at the moment, Dave, that I'll come back to you later in the year about a, a new way of using ATP testing. And uh, it's quite exciting. We've had two goes at it so far, and one of them one of them was a complete disaster, and the other one was too, it got out of control. But uh, we're going to come back to your listeners with a new way of using ATP a bit later in the year. Um, you need to do what's called quantitative testing. Just We've having about a that before you can't see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's the ultimate irony in uh, hospitals. We spend billions of dollars on these incredible bits of equipment and uh -huh. modern medicine and, you know, MRIs and we do heart, open heart surgery and organ transplants. And yet when it comes to basic hygiene that was understood from the Crimean War in the 1870s, you know, with Florence Nightingale running around, you know, despite the fact we understand the basic hygiene, in this modern era, despite all the money, we still send people out to look for what they can't see. Right. It's, and, 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 it's the it's definition just, of Einstein's stupidity. Yeah, I, I, there you go. I love that. I love it because, you know, and this is and, – and so the thing here is, as you've been explaining this, I'm thinking – you know, why is it that people believe that because we've got a Delta vir uh, variant that we've got to suddenly change our processes, our procedures, and our chemistry? Uh, you know, this is what the cleaning industry now is starting to look at. And I'm hearing people go, well, we need to talk about this. I'm like, folks, what we've been teaching you for the last 18 months, you just keep doing it. That's exactly right. And, and look, one of the reasons why there's been so little spread via fomites and surfaces is because despite the risks of the term hygiene theatre, people have been out there busily cleaning high-touch surfaces effectively. Now, there's yeah. been a whole pile of nonsense going on as well. And, and look, even though I'm the largest disinfectant manufacturer in Australia, I don't endorse running around with spacesuits and goggles and spraying hither, thither and yon. No. Um, what, what I endorse is proper use of personal protective equipment and... Um, and, and, and systems to wipe down surfaces. And look, here's the, here's the thing, Dave, and we're working on a project at the moment, uh, and we're working with bacteria. So despite all of the stuff, we've got, we've got a bunch of projects, right? We've got one working with COVID-19 at the University of New South Wales. We've got a, another big project looking at different bacteria at the University, School of, uh, University of Sydney School of Medicine. And we're looking at what these bugs do on surfaces and on things and in people. And here's the thing. We're going to all come back to the superbugs and biofilms. <laughs> when all the COVID stuff is over, we're going to be back at biofilms and superbugs. And, you know, using a disinfectant to spray on top of things just makes everything worse because most of the disinfectants add food sources to the bugs. And the bugs, they, they hide from the, bio, from, from the uh, bactericidal agent 
they hide in their biofilms, and then once the disinfectant has exhausted itself, and none of these things last forever, um, bugs come back out and they go, oh, yeah, well, I'm used to that now. You know, there was an experiment done in the 1950s by the late Dr. Isabel Moore in the UK where she took a standard Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Pseudomonas is a bug that you find on about 25% of all people in their, their, their tummy or their gut. Um, sometimes in, you know, their back passage, one of the better <laughs> term. And um, um, they took it and exposed it to what's called a sublethal level of a standard disinfectant. So let's say it takes 10 milligrams per litre to kill this bug. Well, they, they took 100 million bugs and exposed those 100 million bugs to 9.8 milligrams per litre, just below the, the threshold. And what you find is you get out of 100 million bugs, you might have 100 survivors, which is not many. I mean, you've killed, you know, 99.9%. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, you're, you're way up there. And then they take those few survivors and they grow them up and then they expose them to the full 10 milligrams per litre. And what they find is they exposed 100 million. Now there's 200 survive at the lethal dose. So they take those 200 bugs and they grow them up again. And then they take it to 10.5 milligrams per litre, which should have killed all of them. And what they find out of 100 million, they've got 500 survivors. <laughs> the numbers keep they going keep up. Growing. They keep growing up. And what Isabel Mora showed was that after about six to 13 weeks, six, 13 to 16 weeks, the bugs were used to 64 times the amount of disinfectant. Wow. 64 yeah. times. So, so the, you know, it, it's like it, it's like you said, just because we've got disinfectant doesn't need, we don't need right. to just spray it on everything. I've got another thing on that one I'll, I'll hold for now. But I think that's, a, that's an important thing, you know, because this is what, whenever you said, you know, during the last 18 months, we got some people that went out there and did some things that were pretty ridiculous and really kind of hurt our industry because they were, you know, they didn't know what they were doing, didn't care. They were just using disinfectants. And yeah, it was all for show. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And, 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 and unfortunately, this is going on in every different, um, avenue of our industry uh, of the business and it wasn't just in you know some people said oh well that didn't happen in hospitals oh yes it did um, oh yeah it happened everywhere there wasn't any place that w w there wasn't the indiscriminate use of disinfectants and Absolutely. so this is where these super bugs start developing and this is where we get this concept of super bugs because they become well, the disinfectant actually now has, and if correct me if I'm wrong here, it now becomes a breeding ground for more bugs because now they've got a food source because the disinfectant holds it, and here we go. Well, I'm going to introduce a bit of science here, Dave, and uh, it gets more complex, of course. <laughs> okay, we, on, so we only have so much time for you this morning, Dr. Rag. I mean... <laughs> Let me give you this real, real simple snapshot. So there's two types of resistance we're concerned about with bacteria um, and, and anything that wants to kill them, whether it's a disinfectant or an antibiotic. The first type of resistance is the one I just talked about, where they get used to something. It's called inherent resistance. It's part of their evolutionary uh, 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 spoiler pack. They've got this capacity to survive. Yeah, their the ability to survive. 
Yeah, and they do it by numbers. I mean, you, you know, bacteria don't breed in ones and twos like the nuclear families we all have. They produce 100 billion little buggers running around. So, and they're all equipped with the same, you know, battery pack of, of, of toolkits for inherent resistance to get used to something. Yeah, the bugs that live in the boiling ponds in, in uh, Yellowstone Park have over a long time developed their toolkit so that they are thermophiles. They love the heat and they survive, despite the heat that would kill any other bacteria. So that's the first type, inherent resistance. I need your, your listeners to remember that because the second type of resistance is what's called acquired resistance. Right. That is, they get the resistance from somewhere else. Now, one of the unique things about uh, life forms is they communicate, and bacteria and fungi can communicate with each other. And they communicate via small pieces of protein, usually things that we call plasmids. And what they do is they pop these plasmids between each other, sometimes bacteria to bacteria. Sometimes they bury them in a biofilm, and this bacteria you know, has it and that one finds it. And what the plasmids allow them to do is take their inherent resistance and turn it into a genetic characteristic they can share between themselves. Now, where that's really important is not so much with disinfectants, but with antibiotics. And that's where we get the superbugs. The superbugs, the real superbugs, have what's called acquired resistance, where they've swapped genetic material and they've learned from each other. And... Um, uh, that very subtle difference is really significant for hygiene uh, and cleaning. So um, whenever we're cleaning fomites, as you said earlier, we're not cleaning against superbugs because that's not what's on an environmental hard surface. We're just cleaning against uh, viruses or bugs, if you will, pathogens. No, no, it's actually worse than that. No, I wasn't making, mean to make light of it. No, the, the superbugs have as much inherent resistance as the uh, other bugs. <laughs> ah, <laughs> okay. See, that's what I wanted to clear up, see, because I was, I was thinking, you know what? Some of our listeners are probably going to go, okay, well, no, wait a minute. The only antibiotics, but I wanted you to correct that <laughs> because uh, yeah. because I didn't want somebody to, under, to misunderstand this information. Uh, no, so no, the, acquired, okay. the acquired has both. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the superbugs, <clears throat> the superbugs are superbugs because they've not only got their normal inherent resistance and the ability to get used to something, but they also have acquired these genetic uh, 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 pieces of coded protein that teach them how to evade, you know, ciprofloxacin or amoxicillin or any of the other antibiotics. And look, so this is why we have bug. This is why we have the inherent bugs, and then we have. <laughs> have the other super books. And of course, and look, let me go back to something you said at the start. You can't look at them and go, oh, that's a super bug. It's not like looking at the universe. I mean, yeah, you look down a microscope at Pseudomonas originosa and it's like, well, there it is, it's Pseudomonas originosa. I mean, you can't tell, you know, just by looking at it. It's not like they bulk up. Right, and so this is my point in, in this part of the conversation, Dr. Greg, is because you can't look at a surface and determine, do I need to clean? You always yeah, have to clean. Like you exactly said, right. I've got to remove exactly right. 
I've got to remove before I can disinfect. And I think this is what people learn. But now whenever people want to go back and just do one step, this is where it's like, were you not listening for the last 18 months? Uh, look, absolutely right. And if I can, it's not that we don't want you to clean because we're talking airborne. And I think that's the other thing that some people are saying now. It's like, well, now, wait a minute. This is all airborne. I can't clean against it. So I don't really don't need to do as much as I was doing before because this is more airborne. Yeah, well, it's and again, as I said right from the outset, all of the fomite risks with this virus still exist with the Delta variant. It's just that the reality is it's now so effective at spreading via air. That's how most people catch it. And uh, But it doesn't mean you can't catch it via a surface. And it doesn't mean it doesn't survive. The variants don't make it suddenly die out. It's not like, oh, it's aerosol, so it won't live on the surface. No, 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 no. All okay, those characteristics so I, are still in place. So then I got a question for you. <clears throat> because this is one of the conversations I had with some principal owners of some of uh, uh, services. And we, they were all hyping up about that since this is airborne and we all know we've got HEPA filters for vacuum cleaners. Yeah. They were like, you can't use a vacuum cleaner unless it has a HEPA filter. And I'm not going to say that isn't right. But my sure. point was to it is why isn't all of the auto scrubbers, all of the wet vacs, all of the no touch cleaning <clears throat> machines that move dirty, filthy, moist air, why aren't we requiring all of them to be HEPA filtered? Well, that's probably a question for the EPA or for the uh, OSHA people. But if, if I can give you a, a bit of a cross-reference, the big worry we have in dentistry is what's called aerosol-generating procedures. Now, if you go into the dentist, <clears throat> um, they're going to use things, you know, their hand pieces and mm -hmm. they're spraying water around and they're drilling uh -huh. and so forth and they get all sorts of aerosols. And, of course, if you've got COVID, those aerosols spread around the place. And so, um, uh, but, you know, likewise, if you've got a superbug that you're carrying orally, so let's say you're carrying, uh, um, uh, again, Pseudomonas, lo lovely little friend that loves the wet environment, yeah. and you've got a multi-drug-resistant superbug at Pseudomonas, well, you know, it, it's going to become aerosolized. And so, you know, Dental clinical people are doing more cleaning than ever before. I mean, they're really good at cleaning generally anyway, dentists and the dental clinicians. Um, and, and your point, which is, uh, you know, what about all these people that spray stuff all around, we, you know, in terms of blasting things off surfaces and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, they are aerosol-generating procedures. Yes. And they will bring a risk, and the risk yes. will lead to the cleaning stuff. I was going to interrupt you, Dave, and just say, too, for those listeners that, that want to, there's an excellent report on superbugs from the CDC in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, it's a 2009, it was released ironically in November 2019, can you believe it? It should have been the big story all through 2020, but COVID took over. So um, there's a, you can go onto the CDC's website and uh, you just search for uh, drug resistance biggest threats and, uh, um, and, you know, or AMR antimicrobial resistance and this report will pop up it's quite long it's easy to read there's some technical stuff but there's some easy to read stuff and you know just <clears throat> to remind your listeners in terms of antibiotic resistance of these superbugs um the the annual death from superbugs in the u.s alone is estimated to be thirty-five thousand patients from superbugs so 
you know, when, when we all settle down with the COVID deaths, these, these superbug deaths are going to come back up and up. And, I mean, as it is, every year in the uh, US, uh, the estimate is that nearly 3 million people will be infected with a superbug in a hospital inside a healthcare centre. So, you know, this, the, this whole issue of cleaning uh, is not going to go away. In fact, quite the opposite. It will right. become more acute. And, look, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but one piece of uh, data we published, uh, again, just before COVID, was we did an experiment. We took a standard staff aureus, so that's Golden Staff or MRSA or MRSA, whatever you want to call it, and uh, we we got a, a, a you know a basically uh, ten million bugs, and we dried them onto a surface. And staff's pretty good when you dry it onto a surface; it, it lives quite happily for a long, long time. And then we got a standard cleaning system, and we we had to do it with a machine, so we controlled all the different variables. And what we found was that we took these bugs and just with a moistened microfiber cloth, we could remove 99.99% with a single wipe. Just a single wipe. Then we took that same bug and we transformed it uh, into a, uh, a biofilm, dry surface biofilm uh, a bug. And all we have to do is you know, we've got a method that we've published globally and, uh, and there's all sorts of people using it. And basically it's a way of getting the bugs to behave like they will in the environment. Because, you know, the, the first experiment where you just take the bugs, it's like they've been on holidays in Fiji or South Pacific. You put them down the surface and they're all pretty happy. But when you put them in a biofilm context, you, you know, you're, you're training them up. You're, you're hardening them. You're getting them to pull out the toolkit to survive. Well, when we put the same number of bugs on the same surface using the same approach, even after 50 wipes, we only removed 90%. And 90% <laughs> is pretty good. But it's not 99.99%. So in context, out of, 100, uh, out of the 10 million bugs, there was still a million bugs left. And yet a standard bug that wasn't a biofilm bug when we did that same thing, there were a million bugs and there were only a thousand left. So you see, <clears throat> um, when you put things in biofilms, these bugs in biofilms, they're much harder to clean and our standard processes are not going to work. And when you spray a disinfectant on top, they just get more resistant. Well, and this is exactly why cleaning is, is not just simply... Uh, spraying a neutral cleaner on a surface and using a paper towel. You have to have good agitation. And, you know, in our courses that uh, um, Daryl Hicks and I put together, and I think you've been familiar with some of those, um, you know, the, one of the things we always say is your, your microfiber that you're talking about, you sure. know, is the agitation and the rubbing, the, the, the scratching, if you will, of the biofilm. And the more that we do this, the more that that cleaning is more effective. And so this gets past just using the chemistry. And I think, you know, one of our things we wanted to talk about before you leave in the last 10 minutes is this isn't all about the right chemistry. It's using chemistry in the right process. Is that, would that be a good statement? Well, I think it's both. I think it's using the right chemistry and it's using the right methods. Cleaning, there was a wonderful paper published by Professor Jean-Yves Millard and Professor Sayed Satir. 
It was published a number of years ago. And um, they published this wonderful paper on how many variables are there in wiping? And it turns out <laughs> there are nine separate variables. Now, I want to recount a conversation I had with a, a very prominent academic nurse from the UK where she said we were talking about why there are so few good cleaning studies. And she said, well, cleaning people just don't understand variables. They don't understand, you know, it's not that hard. You just, you get someone and you, you, you here's your standard cleaning system and you vary one thing over there. I was flabbergasted. I thought, here's this really smart lady, you know, she was an editor of a journal, telling me stuff that's just complete rubbish and misunderstanding right. the science. And, yep. of course, it's one of the funny things with COVID is science in cleaning has come back to the fore. That's been one of the great outcomes, at least we're coming back to science. And, you know, sadly, as you said, people are going, oh, well, I'll just go back to chlorine. It was like, no. <laughs> no. You, you've got to have... You've got to have the combinations of the right chemistry and methods in the right cleaning context. For example, if you're cleaning a bathroom, um, 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 you, you know, you might say, well, okay, I'm going to use an oxidizer, whether it's a chlorine bleach or an oxygen bleach, and that's fine. Um, um, the, the toilet bowl, you could use a quat-based acid or just a phosphoric-based acid, but you don't put in drain cleaner into the toilet bowl because it will destroy the toilet bowl. You, you've got to get your context right. You mm -hmm. Likewise, on a window, you, you're not going to use a heavy alkaline window on a, 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 a alkaline cleaner on a window surface where it's got, you know, a synthetic uh, seal around the edge of the window because the alkali will destroy the seal, the glass will fall out, and that will be a bad day for everybody. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's about getting the right chemistry and the right cleaning systems in the right context. So cleaning a desk, I remember seeing some wonderful work with, uh, with um, uh, done by Kyvac and uh, with John Rector, who's now at the University of Miami and, uh, and, 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 and Bob at uh, Kyvac. And they, they did this study looking at cleaning desks, school desks. And they were able to show that Basically, if you wanted to clean a clean surface, the best way to clean a clean surface, and they were using ATP as their system and an artificial soil, the best way was using a squeegee, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. The squeegee goat. Yeah. I've been teaching it in classes, Dr. Greg, for years, mm -hmm. and it's it's just beyond me how many people go, I can really do that? Is that? And and, yeah. and then, you know, I've got a couple of videos on my YouTube channel where I've done it live on the air yeah. and recorded it, put it up there to, and show the ATP count before, after, during. Yeah. And it's like, argue with it. Uh, look, it the, and the science, you know, and, and this is part of the Siri uh, uh, mission is to really take the science back into the public domain and debate the science and get the science right. Because, you know, if you're holding a cloth in your hand, <clears throat> Your hand isn't as flat as a squeegee. <laughs> no, <laughs> and no, will no. And that's why with our experiment with the biofilm, we used a mechanical device where we controlled the, the flatness of the surface. Okay, so before, before we let you go this morning, you, you, you said something there was some new ATP stuff coming, so don't, don't leave me hanging here. Oh, I've got to, I'm afraid we're still uh, doing some software on it. And uh, it's based on... I've got a new paper that's literally just been accepted for publication. It will be up on the web within two weeks, uh, which simplifies the ATP algorithm. 
and we're going to do some software around that to give people a really simple, uh, practical, uh, applied way of doing ATP. Perhaps what I might do with you, Dave, if you don't mind, is uh, come back in a, a couple of months' time and, uh, and I'll send you an email. I'll send you the paper when it's published and we can have a chat about that because it's a whole subject. The, the thing with the algorithm is you use a little bit more ATP, like a couple more swabs, but your data is suddenly valid and very accurate. And I think that's what we talked about on some previous podcasts with you, Dr. Greg, is, you know, it, it's all of this said and done that we've talked about for the last hour is history, it's knowledge, it's understanding the, the science and the procedures that we need to do. But, you know, at the end of the course, we always say, if you can't measure what you've done, what have you done? That's exactly right. Absolute agreement. <laughs> you, you know, it is, it, it, that sounds so simplistic, but that is the crux of this whole issue as we move forward. And, you know, as you said before, we're not talking about COVID only. COVID is going to be around with us from here on out. So folks, just get Absolutely. used to it. Uh, it's just another thing like the flu, like MRSA, uh, like uh, Ebola, all of the other ones that we deal with, Clostridium difficile, all of these things that we in the environmental services take care of, no matter what type of facility that you're maintaining, folks, you are fighting a battle every day against an enemy you can't see. And you've got to pay attention to this stuff because these are going to become, well, a way of life. I hate to say it that way, but we're going to have a pandemic. I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, every three to five years like this. Well, I think it's it's probably hard to predict how, how frequent it'll be. I mean, our last big pandemic was, believe it or not, uh, not the flu, but um, HIV. So HIV was, you know, uh, running rampant in the uh, early 80s. So I would have said that's, what, 40 years? So that was the last really big one. There is another one bubbling along at the moment with a bug called Candida auris, which is a fungus. That could turn into a pandemic as well. It's a super bug. But um, look... Microbes are with us to stay, Dave, and your listeners. Cleaning is with us to stay, and we need to get it right. And getting it right actually saves lives and saves uh, saves livelihoods. You know, that's part of the process, and that's what we need to focus on. And I congratulate you, and uh, and mate, thank you for the time. I wish your listeners every uh, every blessing during their summertime, and I hope they're having a great time, and they've all been vaccinated. So let's give everybody before you leave a little bit of how do they get hold of you if they want to. We'll put some things in the show notes, folks. But Dr. Egg, how's the best way for them to get hold of you? Oh, email. I, as as you alluded, I'm I'm a long way down under. <laughs> the time zones make things a little bit funny. Um, um, look, I'm always happy to happy to get emails, and uh, of course, I, normally I'm in the US four or five times a year, but I haven't been back in the US since 2019 at this stage because of the pandemic. So email will have to do. Otherwise, we, you know, if they want to uh, talk some more, Dave, I'm happy to do a dial-in session, Dave. You know, I don't know if you do that, but we can do some dial-in Q&As and uh, do something like that. So, folks, again, Dr. Greg Whiteley from Down Under, 
Um, it's always great to have you there, get a different uh, perspective from, more from, I guess, a, I, you know, I almost feel like I got a history lesson today. That's good. We need to we need to uh, know these you. things. It, yeah, and I think that's the thing about the cleaning industry. We just go about our job. We do our thing. We keep our head down. And I think uh, the last uh, two years, a lot of people have woke up. A lot of people now value our industry far more than they ever have. And uh, my hope and desire is to, you know, people like yourself and these podcasts to keep people informed keep moving us forward in a professional manner rather than just, uh, you know, my old way willy nilly going around doing what we do. Dave, you're a champion. Thank you. So folks, uh, I'm glad that you stayed with us uh, and listened. I noticed some people came on live here and listened from time to time. We appreciate that. We're here on Podbean live. We do this. Well, whenever somebody has something to talk about, which was yesterday and today, as I said before, uh, Daryl Hicks will be coming on next week. Uh, we've already got him scheduled for, I believe, next Wednesday to follow up uh, Dr. Greg here and talk about it. And now I think we've got a couple other people that want to talk about all this. So stay tuned. If you like what we've done here on Podbean Live and at Beyond Clean with Ace, please like and share. We're always looking for people that have, well, a great idea. They want to share and talk about things. So please reach out to us. You'll see my email and uh, phone number where you can reach out. So whatever you're doing right now, whatever you're still going to do, make sure that between now and the next time we talk, make sure you keep it healthy, positive, and proactive. Dr. Gag, thanks for being on today. Really a pleasure. Every blessing to your listeners and to you too. Thanks very much, Dave. See you all next time.